every little boy should have a dog. That's what I think. Especially if you don't live in town. And we lived outside of town. And my oldest boy was just a little guy. He's like five or six years old. And, you know, you, when you're five or six years old, you think girls are still yucky, right? And you, you long for companionship. And so I thought he should have a dog. And I always thought it would be kind of neat to have a, a golden retriever dog. They're my favorite kind of dogs. Have you ever seen them? Long hair, big dogs, beautiful. They say they're really smart. They're not like beagles. Beagles are dumb. But golden retrievers are smart. Beagles are wonderful dogs. They're just dumb. That's the truth. Do you have a beagle? Yeah, they're dumb, aren't they? And, but they're wonderful. They're affectionate. And that's what Lois says about me, too. And so that's good. But golden retrievers are smart. And so we want to have this golden retriever. So I said, you know, they're really expensive. A golden retriever is really expensive. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to watch the newspaper for somebody that's selling kind of like sort of golden retrievers. You know, kind of sort of. Not like, what do you call them? You know, pedigree, full bred. What do you call that? Yeah. A mutt. No, not a mutt. No, that doesn't sound right. It's just sort of mostly golden retrievers that would be cheaper, you know. And so I said to my boy at the time, my oldest boy, his name Kyle, and he was about six. He was an adorable little boy. He really was. And he would like, he would come up and his eyes would be really big. He'd be like, Dad, can we have a dog? please? And, 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 you know, you can't say no to him. He's like, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about it. He would, he would go, okay. And then he would really pray about it. So, you know, he'd be, you know, you'd, get, you'd forget about it. And he would be getting ready to go to bed at night. Dear Jesus, I want to have a dog really bad. Jesus, can you please let me have a dog? I was like, man, this is not fair, you know. He's praying for a dog. And one day, they brought the newspaper. Look, Dad, Golden Retriever puppies. They're Golden Retriever Border Collie mix puppies. I'm like, that would be a great dog because Border Collies are really fast and smart. And, 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 and Golden Retrievers are beautiful and smart. You'd have a fast, beautiful, smart dog. And so I said, all right, we'll call. I said, you listen, and we're going to call. So he stood right there, and I picked up the phone, and he stood there like, Listen to every word. I said, we're calling about your golden retriever dogs. And the lady said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but they went so fast. They're all gone. They're all gone. Well, you know, except for one, but that one is sick. That one is the runt of the litter. That one is probably not going to live. And that one, there's a big long line of people ahead of you. And, and so um, all I can tell you is if you want to leave your phone number, that would be fine if the dog lives, and if nobody else wants it that's on the list, then I'll call you. I said, okay. So I hung up the phone, and I looked at Kyle, and I got down on my knee. I said, buddy, you know, the lady said that there was only one dog left. It was the runt of the litter, and it probably wasn't going to live. If it did live, it'd probably be really, you know, small. And so there are a bunch of other people that would like to have the dog if the dog lives. So we probably... We probably won't get it, but if God wants us to have it, we'll have it. You pray, 
I sort of forgot about it. I, we went away on vacation. Every night, Kyle prayed that he would get that dog. When we came home from vacation, we walked in the back door, and we had one of those answering machines that if you have a message, it's got a red light blinking on it, and the red light was blinking. So we went over and we punched it, and this lady was on the phone, and she had this really nice, she was a happy, charismatic lady. And she had this happy, charismatic voice. She was a, and she said, Pastor, she said, um, you're not going to believe what happened, but God healed that dog. You know how charismatic say, they didn't believe that. You know, not us, we just die, you know. But anyway, so they go, they, <laughs> so they go, you guys are taking notes on this. They're big people. Remember, if you're big, you're a guest tonight. Okay, this is the small people service. So the, the lady says, the dog, God healed the dog, and the dog's just fine, and the vet says it's going to live. And, you know, God just told me to skip everybody else on the list, and God just told me to give you the dog. And anytime you want it, you can come and get it. And I'm telling you, my kid turned Pentecostal. He's like jumping up and down. He's just going, well, hallelujah. Praise He's six years old. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, he's saying. I'm like, literally in the kitchen, he's just jumping up and down. It was on a Sunday afternoon that we got in our old beat-up green station wagon after church, and we went out through the countryside to a little village called Liberty, North Liberty. It was a, it, and, and it was a beautiful day, and when we saw this dog, it was the most adorable little white puppy. It was perfectly white. There wasn't any dark, there wasn't any black spots on it, there wasn't any golden to it. It looked exactly like a little golden retriever pup, only white as a ghost, white as an angel, white as snow, white as your grandma's hair. It was so beautiful. This is adorable little, but it's full of life, you know. Running around, I said you know, can, do we owe you anything? And the lady said, no, God wants you to have this dog. This dog is for you. Oh, it was a, it was a beautiful dog. So Kyle got in the back of the station wagon with the dog in a little box, and they were back there together. And, and I said, you just keep him calm, you know, and we'll come up with a name for him on the way home. And you can name him yourself, whatever you want to name him. And just, you'd be back there with him so he doesn't get, you know, too upset. And on the way home, that little dog was just, just, just skipping around the back of the car, just skipping everywhere, skipping, skipping around, you know, full of life, but full of energy. And Kyle said, it's Skipper. It's Skipper. That's the dog's name, Skipper. And so we, we called him Skipper. And Skipper got big, fast. He must have eaten the neighbor dogs. He must have... I mean, he just got, grew up, he got bigger than most gold retrievers get. He was a big dog. And we would go out in the yard and we would, you know, we, we would play football in the yard with one of those little Nerf footballs and we would put it down there to play football. And Skipper would stand and he was fast and he was smart and he was big. And so he would sit over there and he would just watch like his little wheels were turning. He was thinking all the time. He would just sit over there and when we would put the ball down and we would go back to the huddle, Skipper, he would dart out, grab the ball and run around. And you would just run and run and, you know, you're, you're trying to catch up. And, and then if you finally said, forget it, you know, it's ridiculous, you'd stop. He would go set the ball down and he'd go a, ways, a little ways and kind of watch. And if you come over, he'd go back and get the ball again. And he was, he was like, we're going to play my game today. That's just the way he was. And he was so big and so strong. We got collars and he outgrew the collars. We got leashes, and he was too big for the leash. We got ch- chains when we needed to. We kept him, we lived out in the country, so it wasn't too bad, but we usually kept him in a fenced-in area. But if he wanted out, 
he just got out. There was no keeping him in. And if he wanted to break his collar, he would just break. If he wanted to, you know, it's like he could chew through a chain. And, and he would get away, and we, we'd, oh, no, we'd have to get him back. And one day, we went in town, and I said to Kyle, hey, we're going to have to go to the quality farm and fleet, and we're going to have to get a real dog chain and a real dog collar because Skipper is big. And Skipper can get away and maybe get hurt in a road or something, and, and we don't want that to happen. And so we got the big collar, and we got the big chain, and we, we brought it home that night, and, and, we, and we called for Skipper, and Skipper didn't come. Well, that was weird because Skipper was always there. Always, whenever we got home, he would just run up and he would be so excited. He'd just jump up and down and he was gone. So I said, hey, I've read a lot of dog stories. Dogs are smart, you know. Dog, Skipper was smart and Skipper was handsome. And so being smart and handsome, he's probably seeing girl dogs. And when he's done, he'll come home, you know, or, or, or he'll... Or he'll, or he was um, just exploring, and and maybe he saw a deer and he was chasing a deer and he'll come. But but when he's hungry, he'll come home. I said to Kyle, don't worry about it. I said I've read a lot of books. Dogs can find their way home from a long way away, and then when they get hungry, they will come home. Skipper will come home, I'm sure. So let's not worry about it. Well, you know, it didn't do any good because he worried anyway. You could just see he was worried. You know, this little face, he was serious anyway. He's a serious kid. He's always serious, you know. All the pictures we have of him, he only smiled if we threatened to beat him if he didn't smile, you know. It's like, smile or we're going to beat you. Otherwise, he looked like a Secret Service agent, you know, always like. He was the firstborn. So he was so serious. He was so worried, you know. And so we had a nice meal that night. And we sit down to the meal. And he was sitting over there. But he wasn't eating. He was just looking at his food. And he was looking serious. And, you know, I was trying to be all chipper. You know, tell him dog stories about dogs that come back. You know, the Alaskan Malamute that comes all the way back from the north. You know, and they swim the ocean. And they're so smart. They're going to come back. And he, just, he didn't think it was funny. You know, he's just like pushing his fork, fork, pushing his food around his fork. And, and then afterwards I said, well, I, you know, you eat your food. And when you have your plate clear we'll go and we'll we'll look for skipper <laughs> he'll be back so he did he kind of ate his stuff and and then we Lois took care of the dishes and we went outside and and uh, and the sun was going down it was late in the fall of the year and it was cool outside and the sun was setting kind of early and as long as i live i will never forget the silhouette of my little tiny boy kyle standing way back on the back of the property as far as he could go and in the most pitiful little voice in, yelling out, Skipper! Skipper! Skipper, come home! Skipper! Just like there was a crying in his voice. It was so sad. It made me cry just listening to him. Finally, I said, you know, Kyle, it's, it's late. you got to go to bed. We're just going to have to pray. We're going to have to ask God to watch over Skipper. So let's kneel down here together and let's just pray about it. And we knelt down there and he just poured his heart out to the Lord. God, please bring Skipper home. And he went to bed and I went in the other room, picked up a book. 
And then I heard crying in the next room, just sobbing, crying. Went back in and I said to to Kyle, buddy, you just got to trust the Lord, you know. Don't worry. He said, I want to go look for him. I said, well, all right, get dressed. So we got all bundled up and we got back out in our dumpy green station wagon. And we decided, we lived, you know, out in the country where a block is really big. I decided what I would do is I would drive around the block and I would stop at everybody's house and I would ask them if they'd seen this big, I couldn't miss it, just a big, beautiful, smart, white, fast dog. You seen it? People would come to the door, Kyle would wait in the car, you could see him, he would sit up on the edge and... His little chin was cut up on the dashboard like this. And I would come back and I would always say, no, no they, they haven't seen him. And he was little shoulders would slump and he would sit back and we would go to the next farm and we would go to the next house and we went all the way around the block and stopped at every single house. And these were nice people. They all said, if we see your dog, we'll call you, but, but we haven't seen your dog. And the last house... The last house was actually just almost across the street from our house. It was just that way, a little ways. It was a, a big, long, yellow, ranch-style house, and we never met the man who lived there before. I got to that house, and, and, I, and I looked over, and I, I said to Kyle, I'll be right back. It was so dark now, and it was late at night, and I went up and I knocked on the door. When I knocked on the door, this man came to the door. It's a big, big man. He lived there alone. His name was Jean Rousseau. He opened the door and I said, Hi, I'm Ken Pierpont. I'm your neighbor. We live over there. I'm, I'm sorry we haven't met yet. But we have this big white dog. And when I said that, he kind of just looked down. I said, we, we lost him tonight and we can't find him. Do you know? Have you seen him? He said... I'm sorry to tell you this today, but that dog, I didn't know it was your dog, and it was getting in my chickens today, and I shot it. I said, so you you shot him? Is he dead? He said, yeah. He's out in the field, out and back. I said, oh. I was walking back to the car and thinking about, it seemed like every dog I ever had when I was a kid got hit on the road, I couldn't have the dog. And I remember how bitter I felt. I remember how awful it made me feel. And so I got back to the car and opened the door. And when I looked over on the other side of the car, Kyle, his little head was laying against the door. And he was asleep. So I drove him home, trying to think about what I could say to him. And when we got home, I, I got him out. And I asked him to come and sit on the steps. And we sat there together. I put my arm around him and I said to him, Hey, Kyle, I said, I got something to tell you that's really sad. Your dog was getting into a farmer's livestock today and the farmer had to kill him. So Skipper's dead. And little Kyle just burst into tears and he sobbed and his shoulders shook. He said, Where is he? I said, We're going to go get him right now and we're going to dig a hole. And we're going to bury him, 
And we're going to thank God for giving him to us because he was an answer to prayer, wasn't he? And we loved him, didn't we? Yes. And I said, the man who shot him feels like he made a mistake. He feels bad. He's sad. I think we need to ask mom to bake him some cookies. And I think we need to go over there tomorrow. And I think you need to tell him it's okay. That it was our fault we didn't take good care of our dog. And we didn't know our neighbor, so he didn't know our dog. And it's our, it's, it's our fault. And the reason I did that was because I know what it's like when you're little. If you're bitter and angry and you're mad at somebody and you just get hateful, you've got to forgive people for doing things. So Kyle, he said, okay, that's what I want to do. And he went to bed, and the next, the next night, Lois made oatmeal cookies and put them on a plate, and we went over there together. And we knocked on the door, and he came to the door. He was really sad. I said, can we visit with you? He said, come on in. So we came in, and Kyle handed him the cookies. And I told Kyle, you talk to him. You just tell him it's our fault that we didn't take better care of our dog. And legally, you can shoot a dog if it's eating your livestock and things. And so um, Kyle went in there, and he said, you know, I want you to know that we don't hold it against you and that we forgive you. And we're sorry we didn't take better care of our dog. If we had kept him from getting away, you wouldn't have had to do that. And the man, he said, no, no, I, I'm, I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad. I'm, I feel awful about it. He wasn't very happy, and we went home. The next day, it was voting day in our little village. There was a township hall, and I went to vote. When I walked in to vote, Mr. Rousseau was coming out. I saw him again. I never had bumped into him before. Now I'm bumping into him all the time. I said, hi, Miss Russo. How you doing? He stood there. I'll never forget it. Leaves were, were blowing down. It was a cool day. And, and he's a big man, an older guy. And the tears came out of his eyes and just ran down his face when he was talking. And he goes, I can't get it out of my mind. I can't forgive myself for what I did. And I thought, this man needs to know about Jesus is what he needs. If if I could somehow tell him about, about Jesus. I tried, but he was just too overcome with, with sadness and he's too too grieved and he just said, I gotta tell you what happened. I gotta tell you what happened. He said, When I was a boy, I had a dog. I had two things I loved. I had a dog that I loved and I had a gun that I loved. And I took care of both of them. He said, but one day when I was at school, my cousins came over and they got drunk. And they got to playing with my gun. They accidentally shot my dog. And when I got home from school, the dog wasn't, wasn't dead. And, and my, my cousins took the gun and they had to hit my dog. And by the time they were done, my gun was ruined and my dog was dead. And he said, that happened so many years ago, it's like I, I, it's like I forgot about it. But when I, when, I, when I shot your boy's dog, and when I saw him, I, it all came back to me. And I just felt so bad. I, I kind of mumbled through the gospel with, with Mr. Rousseau, but it didn't seem like it took. And he didn't, he didn't get it. It, it just it, it didn't work. So we went home. I pastored a little Baptist church in a little tiny village with a little Methodist church that looked a lot like it right across the street. Everybody knew everybody. And everybody knew Jean Rousseau. He was a hard nose. He was a skeptic. 
He was an agnostic. The chickens weren't regular chickens. They were fighting chickens. He was a gambler. He was a shady character. And everybody knew that about him. And that's why they were really surprised on Sunday morning when they looked up and Jean Rousseau was sitting in our church with a suit and tie on Sunday go to meet and close. I was surprised myself. I didn't ever invite him. I just got up to preach and there he was. I almost didn't recognize him because he was all dressed up. And I thought, well, he just feels guilty, you know. He'll get it out of his system. He'll come to church a few times and we won't see him anymore. But that wasn't true. He came back every week. Every Sunday, there he was in his gray suit, hair combed over, single man, sitting there alone. The men of the church didn't think much of him. They didn't really even talk to him that much. He just sat there. One Sunday, many weeks later, I was standing on the church steps. and We opened up the big, wide, wooden doors out onto this road. And I would go out and I would stand there. And then everybody would come out. And I would chat with them when they left. And when he got to me, he stopped. And he held my hand longer than usual. It looked like he was trying to say something to me. He said, Pastor, I want you to come by and visit me. I said, well, that'd be fine. I'd be happy to do that. He said, I'd like to make my arrangements. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I want to make my arrangements for when I die. And I said, well, are you feeling all right? He said, yeah, but someday I'm going to die, and I want to have my arrangements made. I said, well, I'll make you a deal. I said, I'll come over and we'll make your arrangements if you promise that we don't have to do anything about it for at least 20 years. Lois thought I should have said longer than that when I told her the story, but he laughed. There was a boy in our church named Tim. He was a young guy, Tim Gerhardt, so eager to witness. We would go out calling together, and I wouldn't let him talk, you know. I would do all the talking, and <laughs> can you imagine? And then we would get in the car afterward, and he would say, when do I get to talk? I would go, next time. And I would. I let him talk. And he was just so eager. He, I, he was ready to go. Tuesday nights, he would call me. We didn't have, like, a calling program. He called me on Tuesday nights and said, Pastor, I'm getting off work. I brought a change of clothes. Can I come by your house? Can we go calling together? Sometimes I'd be looking out there. You remember that, Wilson? I'd be like, yeah, Tim is here. Man, he's just always here. He's seriously, and he's gung-ho, you know. <laughs> he asked me about him sometime. I'll tell you his story. Anyway. I called Tim and I said, hey, we have a call to make on Tuesday night. You want, are you in? Yeah, I'd love to do it. I said, okay. So I said, Kyle's going on this one too. He said, great. So little Kyle and Tim Gerhardt and I went over across the street. And uh, Mr. Rousseau started to tell about his life and started to tell about things. He's in, and he especially had this record. If you're little, you've never seen one of these, but they had records back then that were like big CDs. They were like this, and they were black, and they were plastic. And you put them on, a, you put them on this thing, and they would go around and around, and you'd put a little arm on it, and, the, and the music would come out of that. Seriously. They're, they're, that's the way it was. And um, he had one of those. And, and so he put that there, and he said, listen to this. And he put this song on. It's a really pitiful, you know, one of those sad 
you know, you'll never walk alone <laughs> songs, you know. And he's played it, and I was like, oh, that's sad, you know. It's a sad song, you know. Almost like you're going to die, and that's going to be it. He lived alone. He died alone. That was it. So he got all done, and I wrote it all down in my little book. I'll never forget this. He got, oh, he got all done, and I wrote it in my little book. And I, I said, okay, now, did you want me to preach your funeral? Yes. He said, of course, Pastor, yes. I said, well, now, here's the thing. The question that always hangs in the air whenever somebody dies is where are they now? Where are they now? Are they in heaven or, or not in heaven? And, and Gene, it, it would make it so much easier for me if I could tell people he's with the Lord in heaven. And, and I want to explain to you tonight, if you let me, we're going to let Tim explain to you tonight how you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. He goes, I like that, Tim. It's like, yes, you know, it's his Bible out, and he's going through the gospel with him. And, uh, and would you like to receive Christ? Would you like to pray to receive Christ? He said, I really, I really would. And I said, well, let's all kneel down here by your coffee table and pray together. And we all knelt down. And he, he prayed. I, I like people to pray their own prayer. I like to force them into praying their own prayer. You never ever give somebody, you kind of feed them their lines. And yeah, that works, I think. I think it's kind of neat just to hear somebody's first talk to Jesus. Jean Rousseau is the name of a famous atheist. But not this man. This man became a believer that night. Is that amazing? We didn't even have the sense to go over there and meet our neighbor. We didn't even know his name. And I'm a pastor. So God gave us a missionary dog to go over there so that we could meet our neighbor. Isn't that something? That's not unlike God. He uses animals. He uses a donkey in the Bible. He uses dumb people in the Bible. He uses little boys and little girls. He he uses the least and the lowest. That's the way that he is. He uses the, he uses the dog. He used our dog. There's no doubt about it. Jean Rousseau would not have received Jesus Christ if Skipper had not gone over there and had chicken dinner with the neighbor in the, in the providence of God. Isn't it amazing? I think about that, and I think that's just how God works. In the Bible there, in, in, in Psalm 8, it's out, it says, that Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength to silence the enemy and the avenger. God says, I do big things with little people. Jesus, when he was on earth, everybody was all buzzing around him, important. And little children wanted to be around him. And, they, and the disciples, they were, they were serious. And they're like, hey, this is serious business. Go away, little kids. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, stop that. I'm paraphrasing here, you know. Bring them here. I like little kids. <laughs> I like them. You remember the time when they needed a lot of food and nobody thought to bring any food except this little boy with uh, five loaves and two fishes? And Andrew had the good sense to say, well, we don't have anything except this little boy with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is like, that's good. We can work with that. So he took this little boy <laughs> with uh, the little Jewish boy, which probably had a little business on his side. Do you think that's what it was? 
Five loaves and two fishes is a lot of food. I think he was an enterprising little Jewish boy. Seriously. And he was selling. I, he's like, there's a crowd. I'm going to turn. Maybe not. I don't know. That's like not in the Bible. That was my thinking about that. But he, God used, Jesus used a little boy. There was another little boy. He, he had a bunch of older brothers. And the older brothers like would say, hey, you go watch the sheep. We're going to do important things. Like go, you know, get cussed out by giants and things. Remember that? David in the Bible? And his brothers go to battle, and there's Goliath is like slobbering and yelling and saying all kinds of mean things. And I hate your God, and your God's not strong, and my God is strong, and you guys are weenies, and something like that in the original Hebrew. And the brothers are like, whoa, that guy is, this guy is mean. He is, nobody, wanted to, nobody wanted anything to do with, with Goliath. And you remember the story? And they say with the David, you know, David, you've been watching the sheep. You go take the food and to your brothers. And David shows up and he listens to this thing and he says, David has been with God and David loves God. And David believes God is strong. And God, he's prayed to God. And he said, God, help me if I can take care of the sheep. And sometimes a lion, one time a lion can be killed by a bear. And so he knew that God could help him. And so he says, why are you letting this guy talk about God like that to his brothers? And his brothers are like, shut up, you little brat. Kind of, that's what they said. You know, shut up. Who are you? This is, let me read from the Bible what they actually did say. It might be better than what I'm making up here. But here's what happened. The people answered in this manner, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? It was kind of some trash talk, wasn't it? You get it? His older brother was going, so, what did you come here for? And who did you leave your little flock with? Mr. Little Flock? You puny little sheep waterer person? That's kind of the big brother was like trashing him out, right? I know your pride and your insolence of heart. You've come down to see the battle. People usually say about you what they think about themselves. <laughs> David said, what have I done now? And then he valiantly says, is there not a cause? He's like, David has got some, you know, you know he's, he's talking bad about the Lord. We can't let that happen, can we? And you know the story that God uses David to kill Goliath. God uses little David, young David, to kill Goliath. This is a story that's in the Bible over and over again. He uses dogs and donkeys and little old ladies, and he uses dumb people that aren't that smart, and blind people and people that don't have that much money, poor people. He uses people from little nations that are weak, and he uses little girls, and he uses little boys. I love that about him. That's so cool. It's what his word says. It's wonderful. It's what it says in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, for you see your calling, brother, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. When we look around and we see all the horrible things in the world and all the enemies that blaspheme our God, old guys like me go, God, what are we going to do? They're so foul and they're so vile and they so hate you, God. God says, I got babies that are coming up. I got little boys and I got little girls. And I can do with them things you cannot believe. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, I will ordain strength to silence the enemy and the avenger. That's cool. I can use dog if I want to. If you don't have the good sense to go to your neighbor, 
I can send your dog over there. <laughs> That's something. There's a guy named Robert Moffat. And Robert Moffat was a serious missionary to South Africa way back when being a missionary was extremely dangerous to do. It was like back then if you're a pioneer missionary, it's like many of the pioneer missionaries would take their coffin with them when they went to the field. They would go with their stuff packed in their coffin. Seriously. They would say goodbye to their family. They did not have email. They didn't have that kind of a thing. And they would, did, many of them did not have like support. They just said, I'm going. And they would pack their things in a coffin and they would go. And Robert Moffat did not want to go to Africa alone because he had this girl that he liked. And you might remember me telling this story. And so he went to her dad and he said, could I marry your daughter? If you let me marry your, your daughter, you understand we're going to go to the mission field and then she's probably going to die. But, it's, but then we're going to all go to heaven and we'll be in heaven together and God will reward us and you can see your daughter in heaven. How would that be? And the guy said, no way, no way. You're not going to take my daughter and she's not going to die. I'm not ready to say goodbye to her. And so he loved her so much and she loved him so much. But he was called to God. And so Robert Moffat said, well then, if I can't take her with me, I'm going to have to say goodbye to her and go alone. Remember that story? And he went. And later on, the dad wrote him and said, you can come and get her. And they served the Lord together there. But one day, Robert Moffat came back to recruit other people to help him in Africa. And he decided that he would travel in England, and in England he would recruit people to come to Africa. One cold, bitter cold winter day in, in the English countryside, he had an agreement to speak to a group at a little tiny church but it was so bitter cold that almost nobody showed up. And when he got there, he was so disappointed. Because his text for the night was Proverbs 8, 4. Unto you, O men, I call. But there weren't any men there. It was just a bunch of women. It was a small group of, of women that had made their way out. Well, he just got up, and even though there was hardly anybody there, he preached his message. But what he didn't realize was that there was somebody there that he couldn't see. It was actually a little boy. Back then, before electronic organs, there was a thing called the bellows. The air would have to move through the organ, and you'd have to work the bellows to get the air to move through the organ. And sometimes the bellows were near the organ, and sometimes they were up by the pipes. In this case, in this church, they were up in the loft. They were in the balcony in the back. There was a little boy named David. He was in the balcony. He was working the bellows for the organ, and he heard Moffat's missionary call to Africa. And little David grew up, and he went off to train to be a, a medical doctor. And when he got his training to be a medical doctor, he came and he presented himself for the field of Africa, his name was David Livingstone. One of the greatest missionaries ever was the only boy there that night, just a little boy. Sometimes on a night like this, you don't have as many people as you normally do, and so you kind of think, well, you know, this is a throwaway night. No, no, that's not how it works. Sometimes the biggest things happen to the smallest people. Sometimes the most wonderful things that God ever does he does with people that you wouldn't expect. At times that you wouldn't expect, he can even use a dog if he wants to. Because Jesus, he, he, loves, he loves lost people. And, and if you're here tonight and you think, well, I'm just little, I, I'm small, I'm not very old, I, I'm not very smart, I don't have that many talents, here's what you want to do. 
listen with your heart to God. And then you tell the Lord, Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will go wherever you want me to go. I will be whatever you want me to be. I will say whatever you want me to say. And you just watch what God will do with your life. You watch what God will do with your life. He loves it when he hears prayers like that. Your life will make good reading someday. (laughs) When I was a boy, I loved Pastor Whiteford. He's a little short guy with his huge voice. And I got to be... I got to be his assistant pastor. And um, I've told you about him before. Every time he would preach, he would sing first. And really sang beautifully. And one of the songs he would sing, this little short man, <laughs> is a song you've heard before called Little as Much When God is in it. <laughs> Let's sing that before we go home tonight.